In light of all the conversation about gender and identity, we began to wonder if there's even a difference between men and women anymore. We went to Seattle University to find out. Aware of the conversation going on in Washington State right now around kind of gender identity, gender expression issues, and the ability to access facilities on those grounds? Yeah. Yeah, uh, like, you know, there's, there's general neutral bathrooms in like all the dorms and stuff like that. I think that gender is fluid, so if you want to use a bathroom because that's a place and that's a space where you feel comfortable and safe in doing so, then I think that that's completely fine. I think that if whoever you think you are, if you're male or female, then that's the bathroom you should go into. I think if it doesn't really negatively affect anybody, then I think anyone be, should be able to choose what gender they uh, choose to identify as. People, no matter what their gender identification is, they should be allowed to use whatever restrooms they should they feel like they identify with. Is there a difference in your mind between men and women? Um, no, yes. I mean, um, possibly? In general, yes. But I don't know why I think that. Socially, currently, yes, there is. There is no need for that difference to exist. Uh, scientifically and logically. If you think that you're a male, if you think that you're a female, that matters more than the biological difference. There's not much difference besides what society forces onto people. And how do you know the difference between men and women? By what people think they are. So you can't like judge someone just on like their looks. I don't think there's any one way to really distinguish between a man or a woman, and I don't think it's necessary. Uh, it's not always consistent. It has a high probability, like 98% of the time, I can get it right. There is some ambiguity. I think, yeah, there are ways to tell, but then again, you can always be wrong. What would you say I am? Just judging off of your looks, I would say that you're a male. I would probably assume a man, but then you never know. A male. Why would you say that? Based on how I look at you. <laughs> Do you think that's a problem? Yeah, probably. Do you think the difference between men and women matters for any reason? Uh, no, not really. I think most sociologists agree that uh, the concept of gender is more of a societal construct. I do think it matters somewhat, yeah. To me, no. I don't, I don't feel as if it matters to me because uh, at the end of the day, the person is just a person. No, I don't think it should matter. And the differences on a uh, social level are simply a product of a biased society. Then is there a reason to have those labels, male or female? I don't think so. I think that it's, again, a social construct of this binary that we're given at birth. There is kind of a difference, but at the same time, if someone wants to identify as one or both or as nothing, I also find that completely okay and... There may be nothing more self-evident in the natural universe than the fact that every animal species is divided into two halves, male and female. Yet the most intelligent of those species seems to be wrestling with whether male or female are actually real things. Have we discovered something new or have we become too clever for our own good? Sometimes when I call a lady sir by accident, they get very offended. This is the world we live in today. Maybe after watching that video, you're wondering, how did we get to the place where there's confusion? 
about being male or female. And to be fair, there are people in our society who would ask a different question. What took so long to finally get to the place where society recognizes that some people may not identify with their physiological sex? So, in our society, there seems to be a wide variance of opinion on a very basic and substantial question, what is gender? You know, much of the interest and dialogue on this subject has been highlighted by some fairly recent events. In late spring of 2015, Alison Bechtel won several Tony Awards for a lesbian-themed Broadway production. Around the same time, former Olympic champion Bruce Jenner transitioned to Caitlyn Jenner. In June of that year, the Supreme Court recognized same-sex marriage as having the force of law. By spring of the next year, in 2016, the Academy Awards recognized films with both lesbian and transgender themes. And around the same time, the Supreme Court avowed that a lesbian family adoption in one state had to be recognized in all states. And so all of these events, you know, coupled by a constant reinforcement by mainstream media, contributed to a net effect, and this is what it was a widespread rethinking of issues related to sexuality. The traditional or common meaning of manhood, womanhood, gender, identity, on and on, have been questioned. They've been put up for debate and ultimately redefined by a sizable segment of our society. Now, as a pastor, one of the roles that I cherish very fondly is to help people make sense of the seismic shifts in the way we understand our world and our place in it. And I hope that today I may have some level of success with you throughout this current series, God Speaks on Manhood and Womanhood. And the issue that I will address today is gender confusion and clarity. And one of the reasons that I'm doing this series is because we have children and teenagers and young adults and even older adults who have honest and serious questions about issues relating to manhood and womanhood, and I want to focus on these issues. Now, I have made the conscientious decision in this sermon and in this entire series not to focus on big things out of our control, but rather to focus on the personal side of these issues. What I, what I mean by that is, how does all of this discussion, how do people like what we saw in the video, how does that affect you? How does this affect your kids or your grandkids? And so my, deso- my decision to focus on you individually and, and your family members individually means that I'm not going to be ranting and railing against national or international agendas because even though I might get some cheap amens, in the end it wouldn't affect the agenda itself very much at all. And for the same reason, I'm not going to be bemoaning activists or politicians or corporations or actors or Hollywood types or anything like that that push certain agendas. It's simply, again, won't make a difference nationally or internationally. And I also won't be disparaging people that disagree with what I have to say. 
because, well, that's just not helpful at all, and it's not very Christ-like. And so I might not be able to change worldwide events, but maybe I can help you discover what God says about these issues, and maybe that can help put your life, and by extension, the life of the people that you love, on a firm foundation. And so throughout this series, I want to hear from you. I want to be able to answer your questions. If you have any questions that you'd like for me to answer, you can text me your questions at 806-375-4240. If you disagree with something that I say, and you'd like me to address your thoughts in a future message, I ask you to text me. And I believe that truth can withstand strong questions. And that means that there's dialogue between you and between me. And if some idea that we might have is full of holes, eventually, like a boat, it will sink. And so I'm not afraid of uh, the questions that you might send in or the concerns you might have. Um, I want to answer those and have, answer those honestly and candidly. And so when, uh, if you do, in fact, send questions in, I'll answer them on a Sunday morning before we finish this series. And depending on the number and the nature of questions, I might deal with them on a week-by-week basis or maybe save them all to the end. But in this series, we're going to be dealing with a lot of issues uh, related to manhood and womanhood. And by the way, if you do send in a question, uh, you can leave your name or you can uh, send it anonymously. Uh, Either way, I will not identify you as the person asking the question. And so my goal in this series is not to simply tell church members things that they want to hear, and we all sort of have a rah-rah session and go home unchanged. Um, I want to speak the truth in love. I want to give you tools if you're already well-equipped and satisfied and understand your role as a man or a woman. I want to give you the tools that you might need to dialogue with others as well. And so I am, again, open to having a dialogue with anyone who might have a different opinion or is dealing with an issue that we can discuss And so let me just, uh, from the outset, I think most of you already know this, but let me, from the outset, just explain where I'm coming from. For the sake of clarity, for just to be absolutely candid, I believe that there is a God and that He has revealed Himself generally in nature and specifically in a number of writings that have been collected together that we call the Bible. I call it sometimes Scripture or God's Word. I believe that there are, although there are some parts of the Bible that are hard to understand, and there are parts of the Bible that are sometimes unsettling to us, the Bible itself has withstood the test of time, and to me, it's very trustworthy and reliable and true, and it's sufficient for my life. And, And not only is the Bible sufficient for my life, but I've found that the Bible accurately portrays the true condition of humanity. And it does this because it acknowledges that humanity has a creator who designed us a certain way. And what the creator says about his creation should be given a higher credence in our mind than what creation might say about itself or what anyone else might say about creation. For example, if you had a question about a, let's say, 1967 Shelby Mustang GT500 Wouldn't it have been nice to be able to ask Carroll Shelby himself, who created that car? You might ask your mechanic, you might ask some Mustang aficionado, 
But if you really want to know the answer to the question, it's best to go to the source. And that's what we have in the Bible. That's what makes the Bible unique, because it is the testimony of the one who made you and me. And so, for me, I try to engage in what I call biblical living. Biblical living is the idea that the Bible itself is God's Word, and if it tells me to live a certain way, that's the way that I try to live. And so, as far as this sermon series goes, whatever the Bible says about these topics that we'll cover eventually, women pastors, or raising kids, or being a good spouse, or being a woman, or being a man, or same-sex attraction. And by the way, next Sunday, we're going to deal with the LGBTQ issue and same-sex attraction and, and God. How does all that work together, or does it? Whatever the Bible says about these issues, well, that's going to be the way that I believe, the way that I try to live. And so, for today's message, whatever the Bible says about gender is what I'm going to choose to believe and live about gender. And even if that's not your view, if you'll stay with me through this series, I think you'll get a very good sense, at least, of where evangelical Christians are coming from. And so, let's jump into this question at hand. What is gender? And does it matter? If you want to understand where the students in the video that you saw are coming from, because some of you looked at them as if they were speaking uh, Chinese backwards and had no idea where they were coming from. If you want to understand where they're coming from, here's a primer. To them, and people that believe like them, there's a difference between sex and gender. That's at the core. Sex, to them, is a person's physical male or female characteristics. However, they say gender refers to what society says is masculine or feminine. And so, once a person adopts the idea that there could be a distinction between physiological sex and how you identify yourself, or that there should be such a distinction, or that there definitely is such a distinction, then if you decide to keep your identity consistent with your sexual characteristics, then that becomes a personal value judgment that you decide. Again, according to this view, the, I'm going to call it the gender-fluid view, your gender is a personal value judgment that you decide. And let's please keep that slide up for most of the remainder of this sermon. If you choose to separate your gender identity from your sexual characteristics then that too becomes a personal value judgment that you decide. Now, we all make personal value judgments every day. I'm going to go to this store. I'm going to go to that restaurant. I like this type of music, but not that type. I like chocolate ice cream, 
but not pistachio. We all make personal value judgments all the time. And so there's nothing wrong, inherently, with personal value judgments. The issue is the authority of the one making the judgment. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. First, let me ask this question. What's the problem with this line of thinking with regard to sex and gender? I mean, why shouldn't someone be able to live like a woman if he is a man? Or why shouldn't someone be able to dress like and act like and look like a man if she is a woman? And for that matter, why stop there? If someone feels like a member of the opposite sex, what's the problem with getting a few surgeries and taking a few hormones and actually transitioning into the other? Because all of that is what society has said is okay and even should be celebrated. Now, there's going to be a temptation for those of us who are Christians to look at this whole discussion, this whole situation, and just see it as absolutely ridiculous and, and might make us laugh. I mean, this whole discussion might seem to be totally preposterous, but let me encourage you not to do that. Because when we laugh at people who are confused or who are struggling, honestly struggling with their identity, or who have made up their minds to adopt this line of thinking for themselves, that makes us look uncompassionate or mean-spirited or even cruel. And it's not a good witness for Christ, and we can do better. Even if we wholeheartedly disagree with people or we think their decisions are foolish, let us always be known as people who care and are compassionate this might mean a few less memes on social media or a kinder tone with our words, and wouldn't that be better anyway? You see, Christian, there are people who struggle every day with their own identity. Let me explain this. They sense a gap, an expanse between who they feel themselves to be, and who they want to be. There exists in their mind a dissatisfaction with their, their body, or dissatisfaction with their spirit, or their mind, or their feelings, or whatever verbiage they choose to use. The way they feel about themselves doesn't match the body that they have. And so in, in their words... Their gender identity doesn't match their sexual characteristics. And here's the question that I would ask. Why does such a gap exist in their mind? Is the gap between who we feel ourselves to be and who we ultimately are intended to be real? Is that gap real? And I'd like to state very plainly that there is a gap between who we are right now and who God intended us to be. But the closing of that gap is not found in changing your identity to another gender. It is not found in trying to even change your sex 
to the opposite sex. You see, all throughout the Bible, and especially in Romans 7, we see this gap between who we are and who we want to be or who God has made us to be. We're not satisfied with who we are. We think that there must be something better than than what we are experiencing right now, and the reality is that there is something better than what we experience right now. The Bible tells us, because again, it portrays the human condition accurately, the Bible tells us that our experience today, currently, as humans, is flawed. It's incomplete. It's lacking. There's something missing. But why? It's because our Creator designed us to be immortal. He designed our bodies to be perfect. He placed us in a perfect world designed especially for us. Very early on in the story of humanity, sin entered the world. And because of sin, we are no longer immortal. Our bodies are less than perfect. Our bodies are subject to disease and sickness and death. It even affects the way we view ourselves. And the whole world, by the way, has been corrupted by sin. And so that gap that people feel who struggle with their gender, the gap itself is real, but the problem is not with their sex. The problem cannot be fixed by changing genders or any other decision they decide to make. The solution, to put it in common terms, is beyond our pay scale. The solution must be brought by someone who is greater than and outside of ourselves. It has to be fixed by an outside source. In fact, it can only be fixed by the creator of this model, the creator of us. The problem has its solution in God. And in the Bible, God makes a promise. The promise of God is this, that he will, in his perfect timing, recreate this entire world, and he will resurrect all people who ever lived. And the Lord Jesus Christ will sit as judge over the world, and all people who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ will have eternal life, and they will be given resurrected, glorified, perfected bodies, and they will enjoy this for all time, for all eternity, in a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more death, no more sin, no more feelings of inadequacy, no more feelings of insufficiency. There will no longer be a gap between who we feel ourselves to be and who God has made us be. There will be no confusion about gender on that day. God's promise is that there will be a redemption and glorification of our spirit and our body. And that gap between who we feel ourselves to be and ultimately God who created us to be, it will, that gap that exists today for some, it will not last forever. God will provide a solution through our resurrection and glorification. And the wholeness that we experience then will make any of our difficulties now seem very trivial. And so I would say this, that if you have difficulty accepting who God has made you to be, I understand. 
But it is essential that you learn to accept the sexuality that God has given you as a gift from Him. You see, at the crux of our discussion on gender is this question. Is our gender something that is given to us or is it something that we need to create ourselves? And the essential difference between those who believe that, gen- that gender is their sex that they were born with and those that believe that they can choose their gender The difference between the two is the source of authority that either rely upon. Those who believe that they should behave male and look male and be male because they are male ultimately have an authority outside of themselves. Likewise, those who believe that they should behave female and look female and be female because they are female have an authority outside of themselves. They did not choose their physical sex. It was a gift given to them with no input from the one who received it. You did not fill out a questionnaire requesting to be made male or female. It did not happen. You had no input in the decision whatsoever. And that gift of being a physical male or female is perhaps the single greatest determining factor in how you will live your life. However, at the root of those who believe that one's gender identity might be the complete opposite of their physical sexuality, is that is a different authority. The authority of the gender-fluid view is the authority of me. Who is society to tell me whether I'm male or female? And who is God for making me this way. The person who will determine my gender is me. I am the king of me. I am the authority over me. And whether they realize it or not, they have replaced God with me. If they believe in God at all, it is a God they have made in their own image. The God of the gender fluid view is a God who will not tell them that they are wrong. It is a God who will not call them to repentance. It is a God who will only affirm and never deny that the choices they made are correct and healthy and beneficial. But what kind of God do you think you worship or serve or revere or respect if He only does your bidding? Can't you see that you've determined that there is a God and he or she is you? And of course, you know, that's really no God at all. One of the many problems with all of the gender identity confusion going on in our world today is that there is a denial of a very basic fact. There are some things 
You simply do not get to choose. You do not get to choose your birthplace. You don't. You do not get to choose your parents. You do not get to choose your ethnicity. You do not get to choose your name. And you do not get to choose your sex. Oh, now sure, you might decide to change some of these things and you might even succeed. But listen, if you go against the natural order that God has established, it is neither right nor best. Here's the amazing thing about those who adhere to the authority of me. They cannot live up to that belief. They cannot live up to the belief that they claim. They claim that they themselves are the determiner of everything in their lives, even their gender. They claim the authority of me, but the reality is they have to constantly rely on authorities outside of themselves to accomplish their goals. For example, every time that a person wants to change a part of his or her identity that was given to them, they have to gain the approval of an outside authority. Changing your name requires a court order, as does changing anything else listed on your birth certificate. And the court order that you go to, the judge that you go to, is not you when you want to change your name. It is an authority outside of yourself and greater than yourself that allows you to change your name. And the birth certificate and all of the details on your birth certificate, those can be changed, but it again requires a, a court order. And not only does the judge who would give the court order exist as an authority beyond you and above you, but the birth certificate yourself that you have yourself, it was not written by you. It was written by an authority outside of yourself at the time and greater than yourself. A child who wants to be emancipated from his or her parents must receive the approval of a judge, who again is an authority outside of and greater than the child. And I hope that there are no teenagers here who start thinking that's a good idea. You better be careful what you wish for. Your parents might drive you to the courthouse. Even attempting to change one's sex requires the outside authority and expertise of a surgeon. The Bible indicates and common sense tells us that there are authorities outside of ourselves and greater than ourselves. And there is a supreme authority, a much higher authority over your life than you, and it is God. God's view is this. Genesis 1.27 God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Like it or not, we are creatures. We have a creator who is all-knowing and who wants our best. The sex that God has made you is not a mistake. Refusing to embrace it, however, is. Male and female, he created them. Maleness and femaleness, by the way, go much deeper than our physical characteristics. 
You know, the common physical characteristics that we think of when we think of being male or female, well, that's only those that are the most obvious. The physicality of being male or female goes much deeper. Being male or female goes to the level of our organs. There are organs inside of us that a man has that a woman does not. It goes to the level of our tissue. It goes to the level of our cells. It even goes to the level of our DNA. And so changing by surgery the outer characteristics of a man or woman, that doesn't change the maleness or the femaleness of the person whatsoever. It only takes away and alters and obfuscates the incredible gift of manhood or womanhood that God has designed and given to that person. And so to destroy or to diminish the precious gift of manhood or womanhood is to try to destroy or diminish the image of God in you. And this is such an offense to God that he speaks against it in the strongest terms possible. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, the Bible says, A woman shall not wear a man's clothing, nor shall a man put on a woman's clothing. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Listen, if the wearing of clothing of the opposite sex offends the God who made us in his image to be male or female, how much more is living the opposite way or even trying to change your manhood or womanhood? God does not want to be offended by us. God accepts us the way he made us. And God would have you do the same. Males, accept that you are a man in every sense of the word. Females, accept that you are a woman in every sense of the word. Now, if you are one of the many people who look in the mirror and you honestly wrestle and you anguish over the question, what am I? I would humbly submit to you that there is another question that should take precedence. Another question that you should ask first. And this question should not be asked of yourself, but you ought to ask this question of God. Instead of asking yourself, what am I? You should first ask God, who am I? Lord, who did you create me to be? Who do you say that I am, Lord? And you begin to search the scriptures for answers to that question. And I promise you, when you gain your identity in Jesus Christ, all of your other identities will begin to fall into place. Your identity as a husband or as a wife or as a single person will become more clear. Your identity as a father or a mother will become more clear. As an employer or an employee, your identity in Christ will affect that too. Your identity in Christ 
will affect who you are as a citizen and even who you are when you're alone looking in the mirror and you're simply a man or a woman. You need to find who you are in relation to God. If today you're willing to begin a journey of self-discovery with the one who created you, he promises to walk with you every step of the way. If you become confused, he'll give you clarity. If you stumble and fall, he'll pick you up again. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never reject you. He will be to you as a perfect heavenly father. And to begin your journey with God, that means you have to begin your journey with his son. Jesus is the only way to God. And let me tell you why that is true. You see, the failures that you and I have in properly living out the image of God is what the Bible again calls sin. And every sin against God carries a penalty, just as every crime in society carries a penalty to that nation that the crime was committed against. Every sin that we commit against God carries a penalty. But Jesus, the Son of God, died on a cross, and when He died on a cross, He took all of our sins and He paid for them all on that cross. And that's why a perfect, holy God can accept an imperfect, unholy person like me and like you. Then Jesus rose from the grave. After he was put to death, they put him in a tomb and he rose from the grave. And this gives us an assurance that we will be raised from the dead as well. And we will be given glorified bodies that have been purged from all the effects of sin. And the gap between who we feel ourselves to be and who God created us to be, that gap will be forever and permanently closed. And then Jesus ascended to heaven. When Jesus ascended to heaven, a lot of people don't understand what that meant. When he ascended to heaven, it marked something very important. It marked the fact that he is elevated above all. He is Lord over all. He has authority over all things in heaven and earth. And that means that he is the Lord, the authority over you and me as well. And ultimately, we must answer to his authority. Jesus says to us today, follow me. Are you willing today to begin that journey with the Lord Jesus Christ? If so, He's only a prayer way. I hope that you'll go to him and ask him to save you. He'll do it. And he'll come into your life and walk with you forever and ever. It'll be a brand new journey, a brand new day. This is God's will for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have spoken clearly in your word about creating us male and female. 
And Father, you've made it clear in your word that we should live our lives according to those physical characteristics that you've given us. So Father, forgive us if we've been confused about this. Be patient with us if all of this from your word is, is new to us. Shower us with your love, your understanding. Walk with us. Change us into the image of Christ. Father, help us be perfectly satisfied and fulfilled and complete in our manhood or in our womanhood. And Father, I thank you that you do not push us aside if we struggle with things. If we get confused about things. Heavenly Father, there are so many voices in society today telling us so many different ways to go. Give us the wisdom to listen to your voice. For we know that it is true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.